Hey everyone, and welcome to The Rational Republican, a podcast where we look at complex issues facing us here in Oregon and around the nation. We'll try to address issues from a nonpartisan perspective and view our disagreements through a lens of respect rather than tribalism or divisiveness. I'm James Ball. This is Nick Perlosky. Hey listeners, how we doing? Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service on all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503 558 6349 or slash portland All right. On this episode of the podcast, we're welcoming back Representative Shelley Bossard Davis. Uh, thank you so much again for coming on the show. Round two, repeat guest. Round two. I love it. Yeah. And so you are the vice chair of the redistrict- redistricting committee on the correct? House side. On the House side. Yes. 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 And that's something that um, a lot of people are very interested in, myself included. Uh, we had on Norman Turrell back two years ago, a year and a half ago, who was the uh, lead petitioner for the um, People Not Politicians Act, which would have taken this process entirely out of your hands and given it to an independent redistricting committee. Uh, But thanks to COVID and other factors that never made it on the ballot, they couldn't collect enough signatures. And so here we are. We are in 2021 with incomplete census data, trying to redraw district lines that will last for the next 10 years. And How's that going for you? You know, when you're saying that, I'm thinking <laughs> when you talk to him, man, if we knew then what we know now, yeah, uh, obviously the conversation would be just a little bit different. Yeah. But that IP57 and because of COVID and what we've been through over the last year has put us into this position. And I, I'm guessing you're in the same boat. I hate using the word unprecedented because yeah. we use it all the time, but yep. that's where we are. Mm-hmm. We're in this situation that the Constitution never foresaw that the legislature, that the people, and not just of Oregon, but across the nation didn't see this. And so um, we're in this situation that we're trying to figure it out. So just backing up a little bit, the, the Oregon State Constitution states that you have to have the, the district lines redrawn by a certain date. Was it like July? June, July 1 or June 30. June but 30 yes. or July mm-hmm. 1, yep. which typically is the end of the long session. And you would have plenty of time to redraw these district lines. Normally, you run the, the national census happens in the end, years that end in zero. And so then you would get the, the census data and you would have plenty of time to, to figure all this out. Typically, like second, third week of February, we receive that. That's what happened last time. So that would be typical. It gives us until the end of June to do that. So that's that's the timeline that we're should be dealing with. Right. But you still haven't received it and probably won't receive it until after the constitutional deadline. Yes. And so the latest that we heard was September 30th. And that's not guaranteed, but that's their best guess at this point. Um, The other deadline to talk about would be the Secretary of State. So if the legislature fails... By their deadline, then it goes to the Secretary of State, and that person's deadline is August 15th. So, also fails because we don't have the census data. Is there a constitutional requirement that you have to use the census data? So, that's a very interesting question because from what we are determining, we are one of six states in the nation that it doesn't say that we don't have to use it, but it omits mandating it. Okay. 
So <laughs> one of those questions that's never had to arise, but because it doesn't mandate census data specifically, it assumes that other data can be used. Now, whether we should or shouldn't is, I think, a very valid question. Um, but one of six states, it doesn't specifically state it. That's interesting. So do you know what other states are doing in this situation? Because I assume everyone's kind of in similar boats. I mean, they may not have the constitutional requirement that Oregon does, but everybody redraws district lines every Mm -hmm. 10 years. So we're also one of a small minority of states, and I think it's five, but I could be wrong on that. Five or six states that um, has that earliest deadline. So that July 1 or June 30, I should know that, um, that deadline um, there's only a handful of states that have that. And then there's a handful of states that has like a December 31st deadline. And then the rest of the states don't have a deadline at all. And so every state is in a little bit of a, a different box that they're trying to figure out. Um, and that's one of our questions when we're talking to any uh, sort of national or to the census itself is why can't the states that have the earliest deadline be prioritized? And they haven't given us a, a very specific. Um, they just think that it's quicker for them as a whole to get everything done and out to the states. And they've told us we're not going to prioritize states that have earlier deadlines. It just it is what it is. Interesting. So you're probably I was just guessing you're probably having discussions right now of do we use alternative data sources? If we don't use alternative data sources, what happens if we violate the Oregon Constitution? What's the, what are the ramifications of that? Um, do you kick it to the Secretary of State's office? Does, so that she can take the, the hit for making that decision? Um, am I right? Is that kind of? All of the above. Yeah. And so I think that that's where we need to be is not pigeonhole us into one, like all options at this point should be on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have to acknowledge that anything that we do at this point, is going to be, and I won't say unconstitutional, but it's, it's going to have to change because we simply can't do it. Um, uh, the legislature has hired outside counsel to basically petition the courts to get those dates changed. So that's in itself a constitutional change. Um, and so that happened about a week or so ago and we were told it will take a few weeks and that could be two, <laughs> that could be eight to get an answer to what that will look like. Basically saying, the legislature needs to draw these lines and we need extra time once the census data arrives. We're going to miss these deadlines. Give the legislature the job. So that's out there. We don't know what's going to happen. Um, there was an Oregonian article today that the Secretary of State herself has hired um, constitutional uh, legal counsel. And I haven't read the entire article, but I know that that's that she wants the job. And then um, out of uh, the public hearings and House Republicans have made a call for it. We're looking at unprecedented times right now. We need to look at all options. How many times can we say that? Uh, yeah, <laughs> we should count. Um, and there's and we're saying we have the timeline and the ability to call for an independent commission. So IP57 failed because of COVID. We know that it failed because of COVID. We have polling to show that all Oregonians, a majority of, regardless of whether you have a D or an R or an I or non-affiliated next to your name, um, you want non-legislators, non-politicians drawing those lines. So we have the timeline. Uh, we have the path. We have the ability. Um, but that, so again, looking at all options. Yeah. 
Another thing to mention here is if the legislature can't meet their deadline, it automatically gets kicked to the Secretary of State, and then the Secretary of State gets to, to redraw the lines. And just like to point out for listeners and, and viewers, um, in 2001, uh, there was a split uh, split caucus. So I believe in the House it was 30-30, mm-hmm. and so there was no majority. And so the legislature was having a hard time agreeing on how best to gerrymander the state. And so the Democrats decided to walk out, deny quorum, and pass the deadline, in which case it got kicked to the Secretary of State, who was a Democrat at the time. And the Democrats got full control over drawing state lines instead of um, trying having to compromise and come up with a fair redistricting lines. So... I have a great quote from that time. Yeah. And I just, as you were talking, 2001. Yeah. um, So comment by then Senate Democratic leader, Kate Brown, Mm -hmm. um, on the House Democrats walking out on the, what you just said. Yep. And that's the reason. And this is her quote. So Senate Senate Democrat leader, Kate Brown called the House Democrats actions very appropriate under the circumstances and said that, quote, under certain circumstances, it's fair to say we would all use all tools available to us and stage a similar boycott. Yep, absolutely. 2001, and 20 years ago. one of the biggest differences between your walkout and mm-hmm. the walkout back then, that was to redraw district lines so that they could gerrymander the state so they could pick up more seats. And guess what? 2000, 2001 is right when the Democrat supermajority started. Like, we, that was, we were 30-30 in 2000, and... That's when things started to change was right after those blinds were redrawn. And when you all walked out, that was to protect your constituents. That was about your constituents, whereas the Democrat walking out was to protect the Democrats' power in Oregon. And I think there's totally a huge right. difference there. And totally the right. hypocrisy on the left from condemning you all for walking out compared to just 20 years ago, them doing the exact same thing for much more selfish reasons um, infuriates me. It does. It infuriates me as well. And so we use that quote very often during that time just to, just to show the hypocrisy, just to show that overreach of power. And when you can use just, just facts and data, not even just looking at a map, because I don't think that you can really look at a map and see gerrymandering, but when you look at the data surrounding it Mm -hmm. and where the votes come from, um, I'll throw in, I'm, I'm very aware and very, um, uh, House District 11. Mm-hmm. Very close, right? Just yep. just south of me. And if you look at the data there, there are three precincts in Springfield or Eugene that um, have a huge amount of voters, that 90% of those voters vote Democrat. And you can win every other p- precinct in all of HD 11, but it really comes down to those three precincts. Yeah. And it, it's obvious. Um, I have to give credit to Representative Wildy, who is in that district. And if you listen to his testimony um, last Thursday night, he said it. He said, let me explain to you my district. This is not how these lines should be drawn. The He said downtown Eugene or the University of Oregon student doesn't have anything in common with the city of Halsey or Shed, or Brownsville. Yep. And and he said it, and he acknowledged exactly what's going on in his district. And that's not the only one. When oh, you look all at, over. Yeah. When, when you look at those fingers that are drawn in to urban areas, we see it. And so a lot of the testimony has basically said, this happened 10 years ago, and we can see it, and we know what has happened. 
how would we believe that it would be any different today? And so I think that's why we need to fight to get it out of the hands of the legislators because it's, it's truly the, the fox in the hen house. Yeah. It's, I mean, the, the district that encompasses Happy Valley has a finger that goes up into East Portland. The district that encompasses, um, Hood River has a finger that comes into East Portland. There's all of those districts on the on the west side. You've got very conservative rural districts with a finger that comes into Beaverton Hillsboro. It's it's ridiculous. I mean, even if you look at the the uh, CD level, the national um, congressional districts, you've got three out of five of our uh, congressional districts are included in the Portland metro area. The Pearl District is in the same district as Astoria. Yes. Goose Hollow, which is a mile south, is in the same district as McMinnville. And then you go across the river a mile east, and so the, the inner east side is in the same district as Hood River. Like, yes. Tell me how that is not... That it makes sense. It only makes sense to a handful of people, as you know, and those are the people in power. Yeah. And that's exactly... We heard that. In fact, just this morning... We, um, this is a Saturday. We're talking on Saturday and I had, um, congressional district one. We had a public hearing for redistricting in our, in our, um, committee. And that district is the first one you talked about where you talk about the west side of Portland and people from Scapoose and Astoria and, um, Columbia County. And they're saying we don't have anything in common. And I shouldn't say that it's not anything. But to keep those communities of common interest, which is in our statute, Mm -hmm. together, that doesn't make sense. And for three, it's one thing to have two, because we know that the population of Portland is large. Mm -hmm. Multnomah County is large, so you can't get around that. Um, But to have three districts like that and to split it and then to take... 60%. 60% of our congressional districts. Yeah. Yes. And then to take as big of the, and and I'm not going to say rural or urban, but to take the outside Portland area and, and bring that into Portland is done for one reason. And then to grab Schrader's district, which is congressional district five and have it come up into Multnomah County to grab some of those voters Mm -hmm. is obvious and is purposeful. And that's, that's why we're fighting so hard to get this information out there so that people understand that that's why the lines were drawn that way. Yeah. And I'll give you a, a good example of something that would I would do if I was a, in, on the Democratic side is uh, that one you're talking about in Scapoose comes down and has a couple precincts of the Pearl District. Um, Brian Stout, Republican, was running in that district. He lost by 500 votes. Yes. And so if you want to see gerrymandering in action, listeners, viewers, <laughs> they will take a couple more precincts out of the out of the Pearl District out of I believe it's was I believe it's 33 33 is solidly blue and encompasses most of the Pearl District, goes out into Washington County. It's just north of Burnside Street. Um, south of Burnside Street is 36, which is mine. Um, so north of Burnside Street, they're going to take a, a little bitty chunk out of the Pearl District, include it in that one that includes Scapoose, and that's going to be a solidly blue district um, in, if the Democrats have their way and they're allowed to draw the lines without any sort of oversight or um, pushback from Republicans. And so just talking numbers, the House, there's a, a special committee on redistricting on the House and then one on the Senate. Each one of those committees is 3-2, three, three Democrats, two Republicans, so they have a majority, um, to get a bill, eventually a bill out of committee, it requires a simple majority which they'll get three, two. Mm-hmm. And then we know that uh, the Democrats hold a super majority on both the House and the Senate, and it only requires a simple majority. So the numbers don't lie. They just simply don't. And so for it to make its way through the process without us being able to um, 
somehow, not just stop it. Stop it's not the right word, but to have it done done fairly is, is the goal. And, um, an independent commission, if they're looking at those numbers, like you're talking about, they're going to look at it differently. Because, uh, 10 years ago, even though it was agreed upon, uh, the League of Women Voters called it a, um, uh, incumbent protection plan. Yeah. An incumbent protection plan. And so when, when you have people that are looking at it and I say, if I'm drawn out of my district for good reason, then so be it. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think, but there's, there's people that aren't, don't think that way. And so you have to look at a base map to start all over and say, where, here are the statutory requirements that we need to follow. Let's follow them. Let's keep the, the uh, communities of common interest together. They yes. talk about transportation links and start over, not a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here. Um, and then what we haven't talked about yet is we think that we're getting a sixth congressional district. Yep. What's that look like? Yeah. Yeah. So you're basically on the congressional, yeah, the federal level, you, you basically have to redraw all of those. Yes. Um, you, you can't just move stuff around like you do at the state and local le- or the, the state level. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that'll be interesting. Um, I've, I've done some little, little bit of war gaming just with friends trying to figure out where a sixth district would, mm-hmm. would do it. And, you know, you, you try to look at it from a Republican side of how do we get three, three. And then you look at it from a Democratic side of how do you get five, one. And, uh, it might be tricky. Both of those might be tricky. I think yes. that, um, four, two is probably the most likely outcome. Because I don't think you can pack or crack enough to get 5-1. Because that's what we're really dealing with mm-hmm. here is the Democrats are going to draw the lines unless there's an independent committee commission. Um, and so likely they're going to try to get that that sixth seat for themselves. Um, but well, it's going to be tricky. And what's also interesting is the growing number of non-affiliated mm-hmm. and independent-minded voters that we have. It's hard when we're talking about blue versus red. A lot of that is um, based off of, you know, data thus far. But we see that greater number of those independent middle-minded people that are voting. And that's not something that you can really determine blue or red. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a lot of people out there. I see it that regardless of their voting says Oregon's headed in the wrong direction. How do we change that? And regardless of of who's in charge, I think most people recognize that all power in one party is not a good thing. Mm-hmm. And so there was a national survey done um, over, over 63% and above, regardless of party, wanted an independent nonpartisan commission. And one of the questions was even, would you want an independent commission even if your own party lost seats? And across the board, regardless if you're a Republican or Democrat, they still said yes. Huh. That to me is, is huge because you would think in, um, a state like Oregon that the Democrats would say, no, we want to keep it this way, but they didn't. And in huh. fact, 83% of Democrats in this state in Oregon, where they hold all the power, said we want an independent commission. Interesting. That's telling. Yeah. You know, it, living in downtown Portland, um, <laughs> my district, I lost, uh, five to one. So there are a lot more Democrats there. You can't have friends without having friends that are Democrats because it's right. just, it's just the way it is. Um, for the most part, they're reasonable people. You know, I think yes. we, we tend to on both sides try to demonize the other side. And that's sort of the, the two party system you, you kind of, you gain and maintain power by othering the other side. And, 
um, elected officials notwithstanding. Uh, I think Democrats are reasonable people. And I mm-hmm. think that, yeah, they, they want what's best for the state and what's best for the country. Maybe we have different ideas about how to get there. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, these redistricting, you put too much power in the hands of the people who are trying to maintain power. And it's just, yeah, it happens both ways. You know, you always get... I think it's Virginia or something that always kind of makes the news for being gerrymandered because you've got I've heard weird, North Carolina a is it lot. North Carolina? I, That's I what I'm, maybe what I'm thinking that. of. Possibly Virginia too, but I've heard that with North Carolina, which is the exact opposite. Yeah. And so they, they look like these weird snaky things. And the reason I think that that one makes the news and Oregon doesn't is because Democrats tend to live in concentrated areas and Republicans tend to be more spread out. Mm-hmm. And so if you're a Republican trying to gerrymander, you have to make these weird snaky things to get all your Republican voters. Whereas if you're a Democrat, you just take pieces out of the metro areas. Mm-hmm. And so it does, if you just look at a map, it doesn't tell the story. So right. I, I think it's, it's, uh, good for you to, that you mentioned, um, you have to look at the underlying data. Mm-hmm. And if you just say urban, urban areas are going to be more blue and rural areas are going to be more red and you can see the fingers. Mm-hmm. That come into the the urban areas and just enough to make them blue districts, even though forty five percent of them are are rural, you know, probably conservative voting folks. And the other thing that we haven't mentioned yet is the data that the census will bring us also has racial data, and okay. you have to look when we talk about communities of common interest. That's one thing that we hear over and over on these public hearings is keeping. Um, minority statuses or um, racial, however they identify those communities of common interest together. And so you can't do that with alternative data or you mm. have to piece together different data and which is not just troublesome, but it's flawed. Um, whereas census data is exact, um, some other alternative data might be plus or minus 29 or have a margin of error of, of some number. So using exact Census data has to be, has to be where we're going. We cannot, think of the times that we, that we live in that people question the, um, how our voting system went or people question, um, after this last election. The last thing that we need to do is use data that possibly isn't correct, that has a margin of error. Why would we do that if we have census data that we know is coming that's going to be exact? So I I find that to be very interesting. I think us as elected leaders, um, we need to keep that in mind and realize how many people out there are questioning um, the authenticity of our data. We need to make sure it's accurate. Well, the camera app crashed, so we're no longer recording on video. <laughs> so there's no YouTube. Uh, sorry, folks. Um, <laughs> I tried to get it back up and running, but it's not. It it wouldn't do it. Um, yeah, so the alternative data is interesting. And it, this is, I think this happens a lot in more diverse states. Um, Oregon being a very white state, uh, you don't, you, I, I think those racial issues don't come up quite as much, but I heard an interesting analogy. It's sort of like if you have a school that's 80% white and 20% black and you're voting on what the school song should be, it's, it's going to be whatever the white students want. Whereas if you have a commission where each is, you have a commission of each like, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, mm-hmm. and each person elects a representative, they're all going to, and they're, they're responsible for, for electing or choosing the school song. It's still going to be all white because each 20% of each class would be underrepresented for each representative. And so if you have one of your representatives that is all the 20% of black people, now you have a black voice at the table 
And I've, I've, there are some districts, I think Chicago has one where there's a congressional district that kind of is a U shape around the city center. Mm-hmm. And the reason they did that is to make a black majority district. And so it looks gerrymandered, but it really is just communities of color or yeah. um, in common interest. Yes. Communities of common interest. Because if you draw a line down the middle and say left is one district and right is the other, they would, they would both be majority white. So interesting. Yeah. So the, the racial thing really does play into that. And I don't know. It does. I don't know how well that would play in Oregon. I mean, I, I guess I just don't have racial data memorized in my head so well and i think it's changed a lot so so we don't have that because the last census data that we're looking at would be 2010 Mm -hmm. and so having that 2020 data that includes racial ethnicity um how people identify in that data down to the census tract that has to be taken into consideration yeah um and so that's why we need it we absolutely need it um going back to Another thing we haven't mentioned was um, looking at Dennis Richardson. In yes. 2017, he put together a task force. And so he's looking at it like this. And, and I got this from actually um, representative, former representative Jeff Barker, mm-hmm. who was a Democrat. And uh, we were talking and he said that he was asked to be on the task force. And as he's listening to Dennis Richardson talk, Dennis Richardson is a Republican. He's sitting as Secretary of State. And he knew... Granted, unfortunately, passed away too soon. Yeah. He knew that that responsibility might fall to him. And he didn't want it to fall to a Republican. He wanted it to be in the hands of not Democrat, not Republican, but another commission, somebody that would, some organization, some form that wouldn't be hyper-partisan. He saw the writing on the wall. He saw what was going on with our country. And he put together a task force of Democrats, of independents, of Republicans, of nonpartisan organizations, League of Women Voters, NAACP, Common Cause. I mean, just the list goes on and on. And they came up with a recommendation. And we should heed that recommendation. And we had a, um, last week we had a public call, uh, via press conference. Myself, leader Christine Drazen, uh, former representative, uh, Democratic representative Jeff Barker and independent party co-chair Andrew Kaza. And we talked about the need for an independent nonpartisan commission. And Rep Barker immediately said, listen, if the Republicans were in control, I'd still be sitting here. Mm-hmm. If the Democrats are in control, I still understand and recognize the need for this. And I thought that was a very valid and not just interesting, but point that we should be listening to. That's great. Um, you mentioned it a little bit before, but I don't either. I wasn't paying attention or <laughs> we kind of glossed over it. But is there a possibility you mentioned? Is there a possibility of this getting going to an independent commission, even though the IP57 failed and it is essentially in the hands of the legislature? Yes. So right now we have um, uh, HJR 7, which is House Joint Resolution 7. It, there is a bill. So there is a path. Um, uh, Christine Drazen dropped that before pre-session filed that. So it's sitting. We're in the process of amending it to what that actual commission would look like. And so the timeline actually works. We could pass that bill. We could set up the commission um, ahead of ahead of the census data that we would get. So we would have it ready and ready to go. As soon as we got the data, we could have a special election because it would require a special election yeah. um, in September. 
we could absolutely do that. We know that we can do something if we agree on it. Um, and we could be ready for it when the data comes. Now, anything that we do, um, some of the, some of the election deadlines are going to have to be looked at regardless of who draws the lines, because again, everything is delayed. So that's an, a whole other question that needs to be determined. What does that look like for upcoming elections? Um, and so again, I'm not going to use the word, but this, these are, <laughs> these are areas that have not been treaded previously. Um, but yeah, there is a path. There's a pathway. There's a vehicle. Um, and really what it takes is the court of public opinion to say, this is what we want. Let's do it. And again, eight, over 80% of Democrats want it. I think it's interesting. I think it's 67% of independents voted or want this in, in polling and like 63% of Republicans, which I think is hilarious. I just think that we're a, a cynical bunch in general. Um, and so they don't really believe that the government should be doing anything, but this is something that has to be done. But I just, I find that stat just a little funny another funny stat is the republican party or republicans aversion to something like ranked choice voting Mm -hmm. um and i don't know where your stance on that is we didn't talk about this ahead of time but i feel like things cannot get much worse for republicans in oregon and so any change to the status quo is a potential to make things better and but it's in the platform and it's it's there are several people who who are very passionate about blocking something like ranked choice voting in oregon and maybe, and I'm like, guys, we're in the super minority. We have right. one out of five congressional districts. We hadn't, haven't won a statewide race in, you know, 30 years or minus, um, Secretary Richardson. I think there may have been one other, but other than that, it's been Democrat controls. Um, why not explore other options that, you know, maybe, maybe can help us out a little bit or at the very least. And I think that the advantage of ranked choice voting is that it promotes moderation. You know, in the in the primary system with Republicans and Democrats, a lot of times you have the most extreme person win the primary. And then in these gerrymandered districts where you know who's going to win the general ahead of time, the more extreme person then gets elected Um, with something like ranks choice. You could have a moderate come in who's either not affiliated with the party or is maybe just on the moderate side. And instead of extreme left Democrats who are in the supermajority, you have maybe less extreme mm-hmm. Democrats who are in the supermajority. And I'm like, wouldn't that be better for everyone? Less extreme, yes. <laughs> less extreme, yes. And so you you actually made me think of something. So permission to segue just a Please. little bit? Okay, perfect. So um, this last election cycle, we picked up a seat in the House. We Hasn't did. been done in 10 years, over a decade. Mm-hmm. So... Um, Lost one in Central Oregon, picked up yep. two in the coast. Picked up two in the coast. So, net gain of one. Which, um, so last night, my husband and I were at a restaurant. It's great to be in a restaurant, <laughs> right? Um, and uh, a somebody came up and started talking to us. Just complained about the state mm-hmm. for a very long time. Yes, you know, so you're conversing, you're talking, and... I saw this, somebody post this on Facebook and said, if you're not contributing financially and spending time and effort towards the issue, campaign, whatever of your choice, then you're part of the problem. And to be able to get that into words succinctly into something that matters, um, because you know, complain, complain, complain. I'm like, well, we picked up a seat in the house, complain, complain, complain. And you want to say, what are you doing to help? 
Mm-hmm. You know, what are you doing to help? And so for anybody who's listening, being involved, knowing what's going on, whether we're talking about redistricting or something else just matters so much. Like this state's not lost. So yeah. when you were talking about, you know, ranked choice or whatever, this state is not lost at all. Like we're so close in so many areas that, um, when you're talking about the, where we lost a seat by 400 votes. I mean, there was another one yep. we lost by just a couple hundred. There's multiple where we're right there. And I think that matters. I think that there's so many parents that are upset with how the schools. Yeah are being dealt with right now. The kids aren't in school still. It's been a year. I saw $83,000 of lost income opportunity for these kids that haven't been in school. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're putting numbers on it. Uh, the sports, the lack of opportunity, the mental health crisis that we're in, parents are up in arms. And I think there's a lot of parents that are looking around going, what is going on that maybe weren't involved before? So I think that that changes a little bit with what is looking forward because a lot of these people probably are non-affiliated. They could be registered Democrats and not even know it or Republicans and not even know it. So I just, I think that that's very interesting. And I, I'm happy to see that people are maybe standing up a little bit, looking around and saying, what's going on around me? It's important. I think you're absolutely right. Um, I don't know if you listened to our episode with uh, Representative Weber, um, Suzanne not Weber, one, one of the uh, the one of the people who flipped the district. Love her. She's great. She's great. But we had a podcast with her and one of the things she said is we we're asking, you know, how can how can what you did be replicated across the state with other in other, you know, maybe purplish districts? And and her uh, campaign manager got on and said, I didn't know she was a Republican until we started talking about this. She said she was she was mayor of Tillamook. She yes. was on the school board. She has done all of these things. And no one knew she was a Republican mm-hmm. because she focused on the issues. She focused on the things that mattered to her constituents. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she was a Republican was secondary. Mm-hmm. And it helps that her opponent um, made some fairly large errors in campaigning and mm-hmm. certain things like that. But she says that that's what you do. Focus on the issues. And I think that's rather than getting down these partisan rabbit holes, focus on things like schools. You know, one of the, the Democratic talking points has been the achievement gap. You know, the yeah. gap between the rich white kids yes. and, and the poor black kids. It's getting bigger every day. Yeah. Right every now. Every day they're not in school. That gap gets larger. And, you know, that's that's an area, I think, where Republicans can step in and say, look, the, we we care about these kids and we care about them getting an education and we care about them being able to, you know, pull themselves out of the, the situation that maybe they were born into. Mm-hmm. And being out of schools is making it worse. And you know what we've done? There are studies have been done that COVID is not transmitted very well in schools. It's really not a source of for, for schools that have been open in other states, it's not a source of COVID transmission. Um, there are ways to do it safely. Uh, but again, tinfoil hat, the, the public employee unions have a stranglehold over the Democratic politicians and the Democrats are just, uh, just going along with it. I mean, props to Kate Brown for finally pushing a back and finally. starting to open schools, yes. I think, uh, starting next month. Um, so, you know, credit where it's due, but. It took way too long. Well, education is the great equalizer. Yes. Period. And this isn't something that's just, I have just recently been hearing from parents. I've been hearing this from parents for a year, mm-hmm. constantly. My kid needs school. And so there's, there, you know, we talk about mental health and that's massive. It's, it's a problem, period. Isolation, 
for these kids, um, but we know who it's impacting. Yes. And I could use the buzzwords, the disproportionately impact and all the things, but we know it's it boils down to the have and the have nots. Yes. Whether it's education, whether it's activities, we know the kids with the haves, they're playing sports, they're doing club, they're traveling to Idaho, they're doing water polo in Texas. They've hired their own teachers to teach in they little pods. Ha- they and so have they're, pods or yeah. they have parents. Maybe one of them doesn't work and they're able to get an education regardless of what that looks like. It yep. boils down to the haves and the have nots. And we know that abuse is happening um, uh, across the board. And so this is the most unfair that I've ever seen. And it's almost like it's just glazed over. And so that's, that's going to be that. I think the problem coming up of our our time moving forward is that education, wealth, knowledge gap. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's almost like every grade is going to have an A, B, C, and D level. Like you can skip part of history, which is so sad, but not be behind. You can't skip math. Mm-hmm. You can't skip basics and science. You can't skip grammar. Like there's some things that you can't skip that how are you going to make that up? So I think these are mass. I think that that's where community colleges come into play. I think that's where the local community and your local um, businesses and organizations and nonprofits are going to have to play a huge part. Um, and then women leaving the workforce. Yeah. Millions of women leaving the workforce. Cause they got to take care of kids. They got to take no care of kids. Yeah. And they, and they're making sure that they get an education and they're saying this is more valuable to me. So I think that it's just, it's a broad issue. It's, I know that we've segued, huh? but, <laughs> but I think it boils down to this when it comes to redistricting. We've been in a position for the last 10 years and the last 20 years where it's gerrymandered to get to the point where they're super majorities, Mm -hmm. period. We can prove it. It's there. So the fact that we think anything would be any different from the people in power today is ludicrous. And so we will continue to call for this independent commission because that's what's fair and that's what's best for Oregon. And we're seeing it live like in the midst of a crisis and a pandemic. These are the people that are making the decisions for our state. It's an abuse of power. We saw it in cap and trade. We see it in the pandemic. We're mm-hmm. watching it happen. And it boils down to redistricting, right? Yeah. It boils down to the decisions that were made 20 years ago and 10 years ago and those names. And so I'm very aware that my name will be attached to this for the next 10 years or possibly the next 20 years. And so I just know that myself, my caucus mates, um, we're doing everything that we can in order to get these lines drawn as fairly as possible so that it benefits all of Oregon. Yeah, that's great. Um, we got a little bit of time left. Uh, we mentioned alternative data sources mm-hmm. and I just wondered if you had an example of what those would be. Um, I mean, this is my own curiosity of where we would get data other than from the official census. Well, when, when I hear people talk about alternative data, um, we had an entire hearing and, um, you can look on the Oregon legislature and you can actually, I would, it's fascinating to me. It's two hours of people presenting on what alternative data actually would be. But what stands out to me the most is the margin of error that any other data has. The census is exact. The census goes down to the track level, exact numbers, um, racial. This is how many people live at this address. Exactly. Um, any other piece of data has, has pluses and minuses. They might be talking about estimates instead of counts, margin of errors, um, 
and, and that's, that's problematic on every level. So I'll give just an example. Um, and I'm looking at one of the presenters and what they wrote down. And so if you look at the census in 2010 versus the ACS, which is the American Community Survey, which is supposed to be the, the best source of current demographic data other than the census. And, um, I'm just reading this Multnomah County tracked 106. In 2010, the census had Hispanic, identifying as a Hispanic, as 251 for this particular tract. And the ACS had that data as 296 plus or minus 85. Mm. And another example, in Crook County, black uh, residents were 35 in the census data in 2010. And the ACS data had it at 35 as well with plus or minus 29. (laughs) (laughs) so to think that we're going to have a margin of error to use this alternative data and then somehow fix it with census data later is it's actually a little scary to think that um we would come up with something with such a massive margin of error it's we shouldn't use it it shouldn't be part of it it's based off of estimates um and i'm excited to see the census data i never in a million years thought i would be so excited to see actual census data and what that looks for the state of oregon and that way we can look at real numbers and we can make um, determinations um, better for all of Oregon moving forward. Yeah, hundred percent agree. Um, that's interesting. So, what are what are your uh, Democratic colleagues pushing for? Are they? I think you mentioned Shamia Fagan, uh, Secretary of State, kind of wants it, this to be drug out long enough that she then gets to draw the lines rather than going to the legislature. What is the legislature um, on the other side of the aisle kind of? pushing for? Is there consensus over there or is it also kind of in the discussion phase? It's more pushing for just want the job. So oh, pushing for right now, not, not there, there's been no maps drawn. I mean, there's might've been some crayons on six, what, like you said, with yeah. the six congressional districts, right. what's that sixth one look like? Does it go through the Willamette Valley? Does it not? Like, does it, is it up somewhere in the gorge? Is there a sixth coastal district? Like all of these things, um, I, I've seen more like crayon drawn ones. Right. right. Um, but other than that, I haven't seen any maps. So there's no actual, like, this is what we're pushing for, um, that I've seen. They could be out there. I don't know. Um, but I would, if I were to guess what my colleagues are saying is they want the job. And so they're asking this, the courts to give them that job. I see. Um, and I just think that we innately can't draw our own lines. Yeah. We just can't. It's a conflict of interest. We as legislators are always not just told, but we're expected to declare a conflict of interest every time that there is one with a with something that we're voting on. This is a conflict of interest to the nth degree. Each one of us drawing our own lines um, doesn't benefit Oregon. Period. Agreed. Agreed. Well, we are coming up on the end of the podcast. Uh, so you've been on here before, you know, the, the drill. Um, we ask who our guests, who their favorite Republican is. And so you've already answered the question. I don't know if you have a want to change your answer or uh, <laughs> you have uh, anything you know else what? to add. Actually, I don't remember who you who you said. Last time I said the um, Republican caucus. The oh, House yeah. Republican right. Caucus. That's right. That's right. I did say that last time. And I and I love serving with them. You brought up a, a Representative Weber, mm-hmm. who is a new uh, member of the caucus and uh, Boomer Wright. And I could go down the list and working with some of the smartest people is is incredible. But because we're talking about redistricting, I'm going to say Ronald Reagan. And I have a quote just handy here from him when we're talking about gerrymandering. 
Um, and I'll read it. The fact is gerrymandering has become a national scandal. The congressional map is a horror show of grotesque, contorted shapes. Districts jump back and forth over mountain ranges, cross large bodies of water, send out little tentacles to absorb special communities and ensure safe seats. So that was Ronald Reagan in 1987. Who doesn't love Ronald Reagan? Mm. Can I follow up with another quote? Please do. And this one is from President Barack Obama in 2016. And he said, I think we've got to end the practice of drawing our congressional districts so that politicians can pick their voters and not the other way around. Let a bipartisan group do it. Great. So it's it's a bipartisan idea across the nation. And I think Oregon um, has always prided itself in being a leader. 26 states have already moved to some sort of independent commission. And um, it's time for us to do so. Great. Well, I think that's a great place to end it. Thank you again so much for giving us the opportunity. Uh, Nick couldn't be here, obviously. Um, but thanks for coming on the show. And listeners, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Rational Republican Podcast. Your hosts are James Ball and Nick Perlosky. The show today is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors of Portland, serving the greater Portland metro area for all your garage door installation and repair needs. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can email us at james at jamesaball.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can find our episodes at jamesaball.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts.